1: Dan Schneier. I'm here with my co-host Nick Turchin. We're here to break down the early goings of the NFL draft. Today, what we're going to do is go by prospect by prospect to break down some of the players the Giants may be interested with the number six, number 17, and with the number 37 overall picks in the NFL draft. We're going to stick with that for today. On future shows, we're going to go deeper because the rest of this draft class, but for now, we're going to go on a pick-by-pick basis. and We're going to kick this thing off Right away, I've made it clear where I stand on quarterback Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. He's my number one overall prospect in this class and for the Giants and basically any team who needs a quarterback. Nick, where do you stand on the Oklahoma quarterback after having more of a chance to look into him?
2: Uh, I think he's kind of it's – really, it's really him or Haskins for QB1 slash QB2. I think a lot of guys are going to have that board there, have him on their board there. Um, I did a throw on, on him um, maybe two – I don't know how long ago it was. It was probably three or four weeks ago. Um, I'm I'm super high on him. I really like his quick, active feet within the pocket. Uh, shows good connection to the ground. I like his ability to throw anticipation, uh, throw with anticipation to the outside on basically a regular basis. Um, I like his ability to read to ID things pre-snap and then understand the the dynamics post-snap. Um, but to, to really, the, what it boils down to me, I think if you're if you're kind of a Murray guy, I think it, the best fit has to be. Um, a a OC that is not willing to, or doesn't want this quarterback to come in and have to rely on the quick game right off the, right off the bat. I think that's kind of his like a little bit of Achilles heel is the, is the kids is the, uh, is the consistency factor from zero to 10 yards. If he's asked to, you know, if you're asking for 35 to 45 attempts a game um, outside of that. I think he opens up other parts of the playbook that if you have creative guys that can help or can, can mix in the play mix there that use his legs and then use used pop passes very similarly to kind of how Lincoln Riley did at times. Um, I think he's he's his his talent could be could be unbelievably special, especially with the deep ball for sure.
1: And Nick, when I hear things like "I don't know if he can come in right away and operate in a quick game offense," I completely understand them. But at the same point, I don't think NFL coaches are doing their job—at least not doing it well—if they don't incorporate and change their offense for a prospect like Murray at the quarterback position. Um, obviously, I've talked about it before, but I love his ability to throw from different arm angles with different trajectory and different touch. I love his ability to open up the deep passing game with his arm talent, and to me, it's all a risk worth taking. But Dwayne Haskins, moving on to him, is my QB, two. But I also have 10 players in this draft class ahead of him, including Murray, and that doesn't mean I wouldn't necessarily take a chance on Haskins at number six, and it doesn't mean I'll, disappointed if, I'll be disappointed if they draft him there, but when it comes to Haskins, Nick, I do worry about his deep passing accuracy and his velocity and his ability to create off script with his feet. Nick, I know you're much higher on Haskins. Can you ease those concerns for me and uh, and some of our listeners?
2: Yeah, I think that the hard part about Haskins is you have one season with a ton of improvement. So if you watch six games, you know if you you'd be kind of overwhelmed by the the last four games where he really was pretty lights out. And then you could kind of see the issues that he had in the Purdue game and other games earlier in the season. Um, The growth curve was definitely pretty quick. I think the, what I think makes Haskins most, most interesting is day one, he can come in and hang his hat on the quick game and the ability to distribute the ball on time from the pocket. There's really no one better in this draft class that can do that. Um, The issues are moving off his spot and basically, some would say to pressure, but I think he improved vastly to pressure as the, as the season went on and was actually basically just a, a, an issue with him being a rookie. Um, his deep ball placement, I've talked to a bunch of guys about this. Fran Duffy over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, he doesn't think that – he, he's, he's actually pretty high on him. He doesn't think that's much of an issue because if you look at the overall um, percentages for what he was hitting on his deep ball, was kind of middle of the range. I think the placement was lacking in a lot of throws. Um, but as I looked on the as the season went on, I I think that it, he flashed the ability. So he showed the improvement. That's the biggest thing. So a lot of scouting has to do with projecting, not telling the history of what he was doing and how it was so poor during parts of the season, but where to, to basically get the projection for where it's going to be. And so I definitely saw enough of the improvement. Um, the other side of it gets into a little bit of throwing mechanics. Um, not, not a lot. It's not a massive change, but... When he missed deep, it was a lot to do with his uprightness and his motion, where his left plant foot was straightening and he was kind of locking out or casting. A lot of guys use a lot of different terminology when you talk about that side of it. But improving throwing mechanics is super hard. Guys like Dan Orlovsky will tell you that it's impossible to change for a quarterback. I think that little details like keeping your knee flexed through his motion is very simple to do, and I think that that would be – that a quarterback coach is going to be able to find ways to improve his footwork very simply and not change the rest of his motion cycle. Because I think it's there. I think there, when that happens, you're going to see the deep balls his deep ball accuracy and placement improve. And you're also going to see, which is what I saw too during the year, which is a little funky, Ohio state's wide receivers are good, but they weren't amazing at the catch point. I think that with NFL receivers at the catch point, this guy can, you know, his number, those numbers will increase.
1: Nick, you mentioned a lot of things that do ease my concerns when it comes to Haskins, especially from a mechanical standpoint with the deep passing game. But one thing you didn't mention, or at least didn't ease my concern with, was his ability to make plays when he's forced off his spot. You did mention it as a negative, but did you do you have anything further on that that gives you reason to believe that that will improve at the next level, or is this just something you think can be negated by kind of that Philip Rivers, Tom Brady factor of reading the defense so well and processing so fast eventually, obviously won't be in his rookie year, but eventually – that it kind of overcomes that negative.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's kind of the way to look at it. I think it's going to be hard because like, look at the spots where he's improved the most. You're talking about like second reaction hole shots. He was able to improve during the year. The spatial awareness in the pocket really improved during the year to, to come to your point and hit your point right on the head. By the end of the year, he was understanding where he was in relation to everyone else at the beginning of the year. That was terrible. Um, So, he saw added moves like even shuffling in the pocket, which I swear to God they weren't even working with him on the first half of the year because you don't see him shuffle at all or even slide step at all. He's basically just stuck there. So those elements of adding those simple pocket movements, I just think it's a I think it's a repetition thing. The more he'll do it, the better he'll get, and I think that's where I started getting more excited about his ceiling where guys before had been kind of questioning, you know, what, you know, is, is he kind of topped out? I think he's only kind of just begun because you have some clear areas that I think with more reps, you're going to get, you're going to get a better quarterback over time.
1: Yeah. I hear you, Nick. And I would never, my evaluation of Haskins or the reason I may not have him potentially in my top 10 overall and as high as Murray, it's not to do with the fact that I think he's, uh, you know, maxed out. I think I do see the ceiling there for me. My issues are more concerned with are those negatives something you can overcome at the next level? I think most likely they can. You did a great job breaking down how he can overcome them. But I think some of those are, are hard. I think footwork, for example, or just creating off script in general, is is mostly natural. I do believe that. Um, and I think that while he can improve his footwork within the pocket, I think in general, if he's going to reach a ceiling for me at least, it's going to have to come from a cerebral standpoint um, and in his ability to you know use his quick release and use his processing and use his accuracy. In the quick game, um, and in those in that crossing game, in the mash game, to to overcome all, to overcome some of those the negatives. But but time will tell on this one, and especially time will tell the Giants' actual interest in Haskins. But we'll move on away from the quarterbacks for a second for another player in play at number six overall. And again, we're going over all the possible players right now in play at number six overall. Then we'll move to number seventeen and finally number thirty-seven. But this guy is Quinnan Williams, who I believe is probably the best overall player in this class if you don't factor in positional scarcity at all where do you rank williams nick and would you bypass a position of greater need at number six if williams fell
2: uh he's pretty high up there if he's not the best player he's got to be the top three um you know athletic ability for a guy who's playing inside is this is near elite on the tape um Really good change of direction. His range is greater than I thought. He's not just a power guy. This guy, you know, and I guess if people don't know the background, he was outside his junior year, uh, you know, as a five and six and seven tech, and then basically bumped out inside because he understood that the guys outside were of, uh, for Alabama were better than he was. So he's a one-year player where he gained, I think it was like twenty-five to thirty pounds because um, he's played He played at he was six six oh three oh three hundred three pounds. Um, you know the big. The biggest thing that I have to say that just jumps off the tape is his arm over move is one of the best arm over moves I've ever seen for an interior guy. Not just because he does it, because the way he keeps his balance and keeps his head level through it, his vision is awesome. His vision is actually, I think it would be like snacks over a two to five year period. Um, So yeah, I think that you got a guy that inside can develop his pass rush game even more as time goes on and be a very, very, very good in the run support. And basically someone who, can play from zero to five tech, I think, pretty easily. Um, and, you know, he was a dominating force against some pretty good interior players. I mean, I mean, the A&M game, the Mizzou game. I think in the Mizzou game, they had no idea what to do with him. Uh, he, that guard, number 71, he just destroyed that guy. Uh, so you see real dominance in a pretty good conference. Um, you know, I think that the there are – from what I've kind of heard, there's a, there's a couple of questions in general about maybe he's like, he's got a really good, really interesting story uh, with his mom dying at a a young age and, and from a, and just, he's kind of a lot happened to him as a kid. He's kind of overcome a lot of adversity, but it just may be a lot for him maybe in his first year. Um, So I'm just wondering, the only question I would have if I were the Giants is if he fell, can he give you that production that I've talked about, that we've talked about from day one, you know, that they need so badly to make the rest of their defense work. I think that's the only hesitation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see that. I mean, but I do think that uh, you know what's something you mentioned in there, Nick, that, that you know Quinn and Williams. Not only is he this awesome interior defensive line prospect, but he's had success all over the interior defensive line at Bama. You know, sometimes even at nose where he played. I think I read today on Pro Football Hooks he played almost a hundred snaps there, I believe. So um, Williams is a player I think the Giants will value that versatility and that ability. Listen, even if he is an interior guy, he's still someone who they can put in different alignments and different, you know, depending on different formations and different personnel packages at different times of the game. Uh, but moving away from Williams, a player who, you know, most believe the Giants would be getting kind of a best player overall, a best player available type uh, by at number six overall. We'll, we'll talk about Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan, a player who I actually have as my number eight overall prospect for the Giants. So this is not, it's not a big board based on what I would do for every team. And for me, it's based on scheme fit and a combination also of, how rare it just is, in my opinion, to find a linebacker like Bush who can impact the game as a blitzer in pass coverage and against the run. And also just based on what his what his production, what his production at Michigan and his athletic projection to the next level. So my question for you, Nick, would be, is it too early to select Bush at number six overall?
2: Yeah, that gets into
1: that's a tough evaluation question for the position. Um
2: i'm not i, I would I, I i don't think he's going to go that high i think he's going to be just below there somewhere in the 10 like the, the 8 to 12 range um so overall yeah I, i'm i just watched three games of his this basically all that's all today um i'm super high on him i think he's the best linebacker in the draft but uh, you know is it a, is do you value that position that highly i don't know especially when. You know he really projects to a four-three Mike. Um, well, everyone plays basically a four-two over front in, in sub package, but seventy percent of the time. But you know, he's going to be a four-three Mike or a three. I think he absolutely can play three-four inside linebacker. Probably want to be on the weak side a lot and probably use a little bit how Don Brown used him on both with with the blitzing factor. Yeah. So it, you know, can he impact the game as a blitzer and in, and and against the run? Absolutely. In coverage, you're going to see. You're gonna see not limitations. He's he, it, it's not his it's not his strong suit. I think he's very good against the run, and he absolutely has the speed to, to basically cover almost any running back in the league. But you know, I think that area he's gonna improve on as time goes on. I think that he is he's, he's by far the um, by far the best cover linebacker that I've seen so far uh, of the in, the in the first round talk of guys. But I don't know if it's that's not really his his. I don't know if he's a full three down player yet, meaning when they're in sub package. And it's
1: third down and long. They're going to be using him as a blitzer, one hundred percent. He's much better there than he's in coverage. Well, it's interesting you say that because if he's not a three down player, I don't think they'll definitely take. They would consider him at six overall, but you know that might you may just be thinking he's not a three down player right away. But based on
2: well, well I have to say this: when you say three down players, I just rephrase really that. If, if in in on third down, there, he's not going to be your tight end matchup guy. He's okay. going he, to be taking the running back or he's going to be what he, or he's going to be green dog and he's going right. to get next. He's still impacting the game then. It's just in a different way. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's not that um, the money backer versatility. He does not have that yet. Could he get there? Sure. But it's not
1: a thousand. Ver- it's, it's just not there yet. Right. So assuming the projection is that he can get there then, and I'm not saying that will be their projection, but if that is their projection and I think he is a player who can get there. He's also my number one linebacker in this class. I think that if that is their projection, they would be willing to take him at number six. I really do believe that just because they know, like you said, he's otherwise he's going to go between eight and twelve. He's not going to drop all the way to number seventeen, and it seems unlikely to me the Giants will trade um, up in the first round from seventeen unless it's for a quarterback. So if you know, it comes back to where, in my opinion, where they rank him on their big board, but. I wouldn't be totally shocked if he came off at six for the Giants. Um, but-
2: I don't. I don't think he's gonna. I actually don't think he's gonna compete for the money backer position. Um, I think he'll be a run. He'll be basically. He'll kind of be bumping if, if the Giants draft him. I would. I wouldn't be surprised to cut Ogletree, um, just because it's he's okay. so much better than Ogletree is. Remember replaceable value. He's, he's, he's It's an easy. It's an easy swap.
1: Well, just cap salary cap wise, it doesn't. Yeah, I, it doesn't make sense, and that's what makes the pick kind of interesting. Is is it that valuable? Is it that high? You don't think right. he can fill in at money backer at that at that inside linebacker role next to Ogletree right now, or you don't think he can fit in there at all?
2: I think he can, but he, you're talking about a guy who's two hundred thirty-five pounds, and it, and gives some of the you know has delivered some of the biggest hits and uses his hands unbelievably well against 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 linebacker against linemen like full-size linemen like he was pancaking. Guys, in fucking, what fucking was that I've looked at my notes, but so like he with that type of power, I actually wouldn't want. I would want him basically as if in the run fit almost continuously, and and with that being the focus. So yeah, it, to, to play money backer in this league, does he have to drop twelve pounds? I think he might have to, and that's where it's like okay, that's like a three, that's a two to three year project, I think.
1: Interesting. Well, then in comparison, where do you view Devin Bush, the other linebacker in this class, who? You know, earned a higher earned higher grades according to PFF than Bushes, uh in, including in pass coverage. But is he a guy who he's a guy who I actually felt how you feel about Bush is how I feel about White. I think he would be bumping heads with what they get out at Ogletree from a sideline to sideline uh, perspective. Um, do you think he's a player A who you know is in the same class as Bush, and then B who could fit in the money backer role right away rather than have to transition there?
2: You know, I think I think Devin White's a really good player. Uh, you know he's 6'1", 240, So he's he's like two inches taller, and he's basically seven pounds seven pounds heavier than uh, than, than than Bush. Um, White is White's athletic talent is crazy. Uh, he's a freak. Um, the style that they played though with Dave Aranda um, and what he was asked to do continuously was very one dimensional in pass coverage. They played zone. Um, he was you know, I saw one man coverage in four games. Um, so with that in mind, you know he never related to two or three in, in coverage in match coverage. He had that the Veranda runs a very simple, very fast flow defense. There, his 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 ability to to key and diagnose it was like right when the snap was, was 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 made, he was basically moving. There was very little reading. Um, honestly, I I don't think that 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 fits at all. I think he'd have to lose twenty. I'd have to, he wouldn't have to lose that much weight. He'd probably lose ten pounds because he's that fast. But he doesn't have that. He, he, his, he when he runs and he moves, he's, he's very high pad level. That gives him good range in like the three to four or five step range. But you know, in terms of playing that money backer, no, I, I don't think that. I don't think he's a good fit for the Giants. I really think that he is. He's this quintessential as a four three will or a right. It, it, that's like his definition. It's like very Lance Briggs ish, um, and that's great because he's an overhang. And he's and he can make all these plays. And, you, and and you play him on the boundary. That's what the other thing too. At LSU, he played almost exclusively on the boundary. Like he played one spot of the field the entire the entire season. And you know he's a great player, but that's the guy you want him to be is that, that that overhang making plays.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I can see that too when I watch him, Nick. I feel like we're all on the same page there. What I what I, what I'm interested in, in is that is what you said about Dave Aranda and his defense. He's a uh, defense coordinator for LSU, and he was uh, formerly a defensive coordinator for Wisconsin Badgers. For that, for LSU, poached him. Um, obviously, for those who know, I'm a diehard Badgers fan. I watch all those games, so I know a lot about Aranda's defense and his attacking style. Um, and I think that might factor in when the Giants are deciding. You know. Do we take a player like White who, when we need someone to make a day one impact on our specific defense and our speci- in, in our specific scheme? So that's something interesting to keep an eye on. But we'll focus now on two more players who I think could be in play at number six overall. And we're not going to touch on tackles, Jawan Taylor and Andre Dillard just yet because uh, Nick's going to get to them a little bit later in the process. But for now, let's focus on some players you have watched. And we'll start with Rashawn Gary, Nick, because – People talk about the athletic profiles of a lot of top prospects in this class, but to me, Gary stands out um, given the Giants' history of drafting defensive linemen, given what he brings to the table from an athletic standpoint. um, He has a nearly identical frame to Jason Pierre-Paul when he entered the draft, and he tested out as a much better athlete across the board than JPP did, who was considered a dominant athlete in that 2010 draft. My question for you, Nick, is does the tape explain why a player with his athletic gifts only racked up nine and a half sacks across three seasons?
2: Yeah, it's weird. It's weird.
1: Um, You know, I think it's 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 a it's a function of the defense
2: and the pressure that they that they bring. And a function to, to his injury this year i mean if you watch his 17 tape and go right into his 18 tape you you're, you, you kind of don't see the same player and the week before the notre dame game which is the opening week of the season he basically i don't even know what the injury was called with his shoulder he ended up having some sort of minor surgery on it i believe he missed like four or five games this year um and so when he comes back from that injury you see him still a little tentative um i think it was his left shoulder because when you watch him come off his right shoulder and his ability to dip on his right side is, is, is much stronger. Um, in general, here you have a five-star, he was a five-star recruit. the Number one recruit in the nation. Yeah. Number one recruit in the nation. You know, he goes to a place where, you know, people are gonna think he's going to kill it production wise. And I, I, I I can't say anything other than, you know, I see him impacting plays, but I just don't see him on this, on the stat sheet. You know, when he's, when he's a three or four tech or four, I, and he's long stemming and, the or he's long sticking, I should say, and, and the and Michigan's running America's Blitz, and you know someone else racks up the sack. Well, he's helping there, but it's just not a key piece. When he was outside, did he win a lot? You know, he won a low percentage, I think, because he has a very good long arm move and a very good bull rush. But his counter moves are not fully developed yet. You see a wide range of them, but they're not they're not where they need to be in terms of beating Big Ten tackles. So when you project that, and you go, okay, well, what are you talking about now? You're you know obviously NFL tackles are unbelievable, right? And so I think you're going to have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, of a growth of a growth with a, with a prospect like this, but you see the athletic talent, as you mentioned, and their measurables are crazy. So I think it's, you know, I don't think it's an, I don't think it's an effort thing. I think actually he had a really high motor when he came back from the injury um, and I, and everything, everything coming out of Michigan says that, he, that he's, that he's basically a good dude. I just think it's, there's a lot of risk because, or there's risk because, you know, can he, can he make those counter moves? Can he get two or three counter moves that that get him consistent pressure from the outside? That's the hands down question you have to answer. I think it's there, um, but at the six overall pick, I think that's too high.
1: Well, I actually, I'm gonna we're gonna stay on Gary for for a quick minute here because I do think he's an extremely intriguing prospect. Not prospect for the Giants, not at six, but even at seventeen overall, based on where I could potentially see him sliding, uh, based on you know a lot of the negatives you brought up. In addition to the fact that he just did not have production, so I have a couple more questions on Gary that I want to ask you, Nick. For starters, when the Giants uh, brought in General Manager Dave Gettleman and they flipped kind of the script on what they're looking for in this defensive, you know, on this roster from a defensive standpoint, they traded away Jason Pierre-Paul. Now, at the same time, Pierre-Paul, his best days might have been behind him. He had a bloated contract um, and didn't exactly play well in the first year of his contract. But the question I have to you is, did they trade JPP? based on where they projected or the lack of projected fit for him in this scheme, because like I mentioned, Gary has a nearly identical frame, almost identical JPPs. Obviously now Gary's tested out much faster in the 40, uh, straight line speed. He was much better in the short shuttle and and three cone combined than JPP, better agility from that standpoint was stronger, more bench press reps. um, And also had a much bigger broad jump. So he's a more explosive athlete from that standpoint too. But my question is where does he fit in this scheme?
2: You know, I think that
1: it, okay. So at the at the at
2: the combine, he comes in at 6040, 277 pounds. Kareem Martin is two sixty, right? Yep, and, and a little taller. So you He's know, six. Yeah, and so the question is, do you think that he could drop occasionally on the outside? Let's say three to five times a game, mostly to the boundary, not covering a lot of space. It would probably be less than that. It would probably be two to three times a game. I absolutely think he has the athleticism too. You know, but to your point, are they going to are they do they? This is the question I think the Giants as a franchise have to un, have to understand. Do they want to stick with Betcher's profile, which is pretty specific for his edge rushers? And guys have said, hey, maybe they don't need their main production to come from the edges because they're asking for basically two way players in some right. cases. Or are they going to say, hey, this guy's production is so good, we have to change because of this? And if you and let's be honest, if, you know they're basically in a four two front seventy five percent of the time. If not more, so they're they're, they're not they're, they're not traditional OLBs. It's how much you're asking a guy that's either standing up or, or as a hand the dirt, which almost has no bearing on 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 the game now. The difference between the two is is negligible. You know, are you going to ask him to drop off or are you not? You know, I the the few times I don't I just don't know if his if you can guarantee that his production is enough to do that for this for the Giants right now. Well, versus if he goes to a team where it's it's he's one of of two or three really good guys, right. and they kind of go forward. I, honestly, that's I think that's the conversation that they that they have to be having with themselves because they need it so bad. Who I think he can do it, but is he the best guy to do it? I don't know. Which is an interesting kind of point in general towards how you know everyone knows that you know Better's going to move you around. He's going to move you to three tech on, uh, on third down. He's going to move you to three tech. He's going to move you to nose. You know they're going to run diamond fronts just like the Eagles do, where Cox goes to zero tech. So if he's not going to do that, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's not, not not the right fit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you you bring up a great point there. I mean, if he's not going to be able to make an impact early on it's just it's not this might not be the team fit for him but you know I do believe the Giants have specific thresholds they like for the defensive pass rushers and he really does fit it at least from an athletic and frame standpoint so it's I still think he's on their radar and I'll go to another player who may be on their radar for number six overall Um, so I have Drew Locke quarterback out of Missouri as my number 37 overall prospect on my Giants big board because that's where I'd be comfortable taking a chance having said that the Giants We'll have to get him at either number six or number 17, if they're sure. Um, do you like Locke overall, Nick, in the same tier where you just described that you had Haskins or Murray? Is Locke, and in addition to that, is Locke a prospect worth bypassing the likes of maybe a Devin Bush or Brian Burns at 17 overall, uh, You know, plus also committing to now not using a first round pick on a quarterback in the 2020 draft class and probably not even the 2021 draft class?
2: Uh, yeah, I've seen maybe four or five locks games across two seasons and the practice and the practices of the senior bowl. I just can't, I can't get there. Um, I think he's a, I think he's going to be a good player. I think he makes some of the best second reaction throws you'll see, um, for this draft class. But like, I just, you know, I think he's got the production in a tough class and that's, or sorry, a tough conference. And that's what is a little misleading. I mean, I don't think, you know, from, if you, the game I think everyone should focus on is the Alabama game from this past year. Um, You know, I don't know why people think he's super mobile and can make plays on the run. He had pretty poor habits in this game, He rarely gets downhill to target, you know, relies on the arm to basically make the play for him versus the habits that are going to give you better placement Uh, over time. His footwork's kind of, his his footwork's better than people make it out to be, but you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, I don't, I think he can basically still improve, you know, he doesn't really make many anticipation throws and, you know, where he, where he actually is really good is in the red zone. Um, You know, making those off schedule throws basically a second reaction, but just overall, I'm not sure if you're seeing the consistency there. And, you know, the best part, his best trait, I think is his ability to lead and his ability to handle basically a group of men. I mean, you can clearly see that in practice and you can clearly hear that in his interviews. I don't mean to, discredit his other thing because obviously his arm is ridiculous but just the other parts that actually come into quarterback play I can't get above like I think he's going to go in the first round somewhere but I don't think it's above pick 15 to be honest
1: yeah and I I kind of agree with you Nick I think that well first of all if your best trait is you know how you can lead a team it's not enough for me to t- use a 17th pick on a player in a pr- in a draft class with a lot of talent that'll be available that can help the giants right away at 17 but i will say this nick i do kind of agree with your your overall take on lock in the sense that a lot of his wow throws that you know are turned into these clips and these gifs on twitter they look really nice and when he makes those wow throws they are really nice but they are only a few throws from each game um, and you know like you said, there are a lot of potential flaws in his game that may never be corrected. And to me, this is the reality of not of needing a quarterback. You have to take chances sometimes on prospects. But for me, with the way that the quarterback position is currently slated and you know, with the fact that if you bypass a, Dan, a Daniel Jones or a Drew Locke in the first round, another team is selecting him and another team is now committing to him, for committing to them, I should say, for the 2020 season. And once again, that's one fewer team competing with you for the likes of maybe Justin Herbert Tua, and, and, you know, Jake Fromm and everybody who might be in that class. So to me at this point, I'm not there yet either. Like I said, I'd be comfortable taking him. If he falls all the way to number 37, which he never, which a player, you know, with his arm talent in a quarterback class this week, will never fall that far. Um, but you know, that's where I'm at right now. But let's finally move on a little bit to uh, pick number 17 here, Nick. And we're talking about one of my favorite prospects in this entire class, Jace Winovich out of Michigan. I believe his combined per snap production, which according to Pro Football Focus was borderline elite, uh, combined with his incredible athletic testing. I love his athletic profile. Um, to me, he's exactly what the Giants want at outside linebacker. Is number 17 too early for Winovich? And at the same time, do you like his fit in better scheme?
2: Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, he's interesting because like preseason, guys are talking like fifth and sixth round for him. So it's insane to see one year uh, and a difference a year can make for him, um, you know, super high motor player. He's a technician as a pass rusher. This is all pretty, pretty well documented because he, uh, you know, he's he's a, he's, a, he's a different profile than the guy opposite his, uh, his, you know, him because I think his production exceeded what most people thought it would be. So it's kind of stands in dark contrast to Gary. Um, I think 17 is too high for him. Um, I kind of have him, I think he's going to go somewhere in, in in the second round. In terms of the Giants, um, I think it gets into the same conversation we had with Gary, where it's like, you know, is his production going to be enough in general, or do you think that he has the overall athleticism and the, and the, and the short-term body, basically, movements to to be able to cover guys, at least in a short flat of, uh, of a zone? I think he maybe could. He's a little, he gets his, his pads get a little high, and he kind of, you know, he's not, I think Gary's a much better mover. Um, so I think Gary can do that better than he can, um, but I still think he could do it. Um, and I think that his production with all, because he's a technician, um, you know, we'll be able to, you know, there, there's going to be a place on the team for him, no matter where he goes. Um, my gun to my head, I think he's going to go in the second round. Um, and, you know, the team's going to be happy with him there.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, let's, 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 we'll say this though, Nick, I do. I have him at number 25 overall in my big board for the Giants. And I do think, He's obviously a much, much better value at number 37 where, you know, he could fall just based on the fact that he might not fit everyone's uh, idea of what they want at that position. But for me, you know, I, I am a little wooed by the fact that his production was awesome. And in addition to that, you know, that might, to me, that might've been enough for me to like him as a mid round guy anyway. But then when you combine a four or five, nine 40 yard dash, you know, 94th percentile of his position. And more importantly, the three cone, which he finished in the 90th percentile and the short shuttle, and the 95th. And for me, short shuttle and three cones that dominant uh, at 256 pounds show me that you know you're a potential player who has untapped potential as far as pass rushing around the edge. If you have the right coaching, that's how I view it. I mean, I could be wrong on that, Nick. I know you may have a different opinion of that and kind of what the upside may be from from coaching at the NFL or at the next level. But that's kind of how I see it. So for me, he's one of my favorite targets at 37 overall. Um, for the Giants, if, if, you know, if he does fall into that range. But let's talk about another player who might actually be in play for number 17 overall, and that's Cody Ford. And he's someone who, you know, the Giants spent a lot of time with in the pre-draft process. But for me, his short shuttle, I'll admit it, his short shuttle and his three-cone concern me. You know, I don't normally like to put too much stock into these testing drills, but, you know, when you bomb these specific two drills at the offensive tackle position, and same thing for me with the, you know, edge ruster position, I do think that, you know, What we've seen over time is that they are indicative of future success and projection at at those positions. So I'm a little concerned from that, but not fully concerned. He's my number 18 overall player on the Giants' big board. Where do you fit you forward, and do you think he is uh, an immediate fit for the Giants at their right tackle vacancy?
2: Uh, I think he's a little bit more of a mauler type, and they would kind of be going in a different direction um in terms of oral he's a little stiff for me um his lower and his lower body bends from the waist a little bit um he's a mauler he's a he's an angry dude he finishes his block so he kind of has a good profile that you'd think would fit a power team i think the giants have to then figure out if they're going to want those types of guys or not um i have a feeling he's yeah he, to, to answer your question yeah the, the short shell and the three cone do have concerns for me as well um you know just because his overall athleticism you know, can he, can he really provide a multiple attack for, you know, for in the running game for an offense, if they want that, if they want to have an attack like the Eagles and what the Giants say they want, where it's like, we can flip between gap and zone schemes pretty, pretty seamlessly. I'm not sure if he can do that. I think he had great coaching in Oklahoma. I think they absolutely got the, got, got a, got a good, you know, he was able to do that to some degree against big 12 opponents, but at the NFL level, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I would see him more as a, as a gap scheme guy and, I don't even know I want to say this, but I actually almost see him more as a guard. Um, I know that's not how other guys see him, but in the end, that's, I, I think he may kind of end up at that spot in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're not the first person to say he might end up as a guard in the NFL. Um, and you know what? You, you bring up a lot of good points there, there, Nick, and it's kind of all about does he fit what the Giants want to do there? And for me, when I look at Cody Ford, I look at his teammate, offensive tackle, um, Bobby Evans, and you know I look at what the Giants did last year when they didn't take Bradley Chubb, but they did get uh, B.J. Hill based a lot on what they saw from him when watching Chubb's tape at NC State. Obviously, Evans and Ford were teammates at Oklahoma, the two respective tackle positions, and I think that for me, getting him at pick number 108 or getting him later in the draft versus Ford at 17 presents a much better value play for the Giants and I think that would ultimately be direction they go if they do draft one of these Oklahoma offensive linemen. So that's kind of where I stand on that one. But another player who, you know, I'm not very, sh- I- I'm very against taking at number 17 overall. And I don't even know if I'd be in for taking it at number 37 overall, which he'll approach. you probably won't last to. And that's a player who the giants did bring in for a top 30 visit. And it's Colin Farrell at uh, a Clemson. So, you know, either they're interested in him or they're trying to figure out why they're greatest. For me, I'm not a fan of his fit at all at outside linebacker, um, you know, given not only his frame, which doesn't fit it, and his really poor agility testing. Um, I, I've seen these players come into the draft with a lot of production from a big school uh, while playing alongside really talented players. I and mean, the Clemson also has my favorite defensive lineman in this class, Christian Wilkins, my favorite defensive lineman from that team, a top 15 player for me, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Um, and I've seen it, you know, Fall. I've seen it with Kevin Dodd, who you know failed in the NFL. I've seen it with Derek Morgan, a player who you know another player who, like Farrell, to me is more of a four three right, you know a four three defensive end, and he's another player who, who was compared, you know who who I'm sorry, Lance Third Line of NFL.com compared Farrell's game to, and he's another guy who didn't work in the NFL. So can you quell those concerns on uh, for me on Ferrell? do You see, one, do you see him as a fit for better? Dude, you like him as a pick at seventeen. You know, in
2: general, you're talking about a 6'4", six four, two sixty-four, right, at the combine. So he's gonna be in that area where you know he's a little bit smaller than tight wise than 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 Martin. But he's kind of on the borderline where I think, yeah, you're gonna have like if if if, if the Jets picked him in some random way, you know, Greg Williams is gonna tell him to gain weight. Okay. Right. <laughs> and and so you're he's in, he's a little bit of a hybrid, he's a little in between. Um at Clemson with Venables, you know is he really one of the higher draft picks that was asked to drop back as a, as a, as a, as an edge? Yes. And was it often? No. Um, his movement skills are, I would say adequate to solid. Um, you know, is he going to match up against a running back and man? No. Is he going to play the short flat zone like Kareem Martin does? Yeah. I think he can do that. Um, I think it gets into, and this is too bad because I like his tape. Um, he wins on the low side a lot, but you don't see from, um, most of these traffic, most college guys win with burst and speed up the field. And then usually the offense alignment has some sort of a poor set and you see him show some level of bend, some level of rip and they're at the quarterback and you know, like, you know, 1.8 seconds later, he actually has a pretty wide range of moves on the low side. Meaning he can basically defeat the, defeat the block on the inside. Um, is kind of the way to say it, you know, everyone's made, a lot about how he smoked Jonah Williams in the, in the, uh, in the, in the Bama game. And yeah, he, he, there are kind of a few things going on there, but yeah, he, he, he flashed that he can do that. So I think he can play at a high level. Um, the measurables kind of talk about maybe he's a little limited. I think he's, a, I think he's a fine fit. Um, I just don't know if guys at this, at pick 17, if if they're going to want to have a dominant pass rusher who can beat guys at the NFL level can beat guys consistently on the outside. You know, is he, is he a good enough and a versatile enough pass rusher yet? I, I think that's what people are, are questioning. And then with his measurables being weak as they were, as they are, um, you know, I, I get the hesitation. I get the hesitation. So I'm, I'm kind of mixed. Uh, I think he would be a good fit, but I think it picks up pick number 17. Again, I think it may be a little high, um, but I, I get it. And I actually, I actually do like him.
1: Well, we're not going to agree on all these prospects, Nick, and That's just part of the game for me. Uh, You know, I just I've seen a lot of prospects like Farrell come and come and go in the first borderline first, second round of the NFL draft. And I I don't know how many of them with that specific profile that we just kind of went over, um, you know, overall outlook, I should say, have succeeded and translated. But we'll move on to another player at number 17 could be in play. And, you know, it would be. (laughs) You know, from a fan's perspective, if I, was, if I was, you know, asking the eight-year-old Dan Schneier New York Giants fan to weigh in on this, or to, I guess 11 was when I really got into it, um, I would say it's a throw-your-remote pick, and that's quarterback Daniel Jones out of Duke. Um, for me, I don't believe he has a quick enough release. I don't – I think his mental processing is overrated. I worry about his arm talent. Um, at the next level, and if it will open up, you know, avenues for how opposing defenses can deploy their safeties against the Giants. I believe you're now also then committing to not drafting a quarterback in the 2020, probably not the 2021 class, waiting on Daniel Jones to come around. Um, Am I wrong, Nick? And is there any pick you would feel comfortable selecting Jones at?
2: Yeah, I think with Jones, you gotta get, you got to get comfortable with a lot of things. Um, I think he's got some habits. I think there's a lot of misperceptions about Jones out there. I don't really get the total hate because I think there's a clear path to a QB2. Um, from a background perspective, if people listen to the podcast uh, that Bucky and Daniel Jeremiah did the Wait, deep dive on Daniel that Back that
1: one up a little real quick, Nick. Did you say a clear path to QB2? Yeah. So it's QB two for a team. Yeah. Like, back, like a backup quarterback. Yeah. 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 But, you, you, but I mean, if that, let's just break this down though a little bit, Nick, if you're saying there's a clear path to him being a backup quarterback, that's not something you can afford to spend the number 17 overall pick on. Can you? That's the thing. So then it gets into, okay. So the, the
2: spot is wrong. And yeah, I totally see him as a second rounder, but I, but I think that, you know, you have a bunch of quarterbacks in this class that are going to, hope to get on a path to QB two of the ones that actually get there. Like guys like Will Greer, you know, I think like, you know, Daniel Jones is head and shoulders above Will Greer's a uh, path as a, as a, as a floor to QB two, he can get you there for sure. You know, he has some bad habits. He has some, he has some bad habits, but I think this is, the, the habits thing gets really interesting. And if you, everyone looks at David Cutcliffe, and he's a great quarterback coach and, and, and obviously he's mentored Eli and he's mentored and he's mentored Peyton, but Peyton, from what i heard, didn't get his, you know, he didn't get his habits from his coaching in college. He got his habits after because he's a maniac. Eli does not have tremendous habits. Neither does Daniel Jones in terms of pocket presence, pocket movement, footwork, all that stuff. I think if he got more refined, yeah, you could, You the, the QB two path is totally there because you know, he's pretty mobile. His arm is just good enough and he's, he makes solid decisions. You know, overall, I think that's where if he, if he if he continues on that path, yeah, if you're talking about the 17th overall pick, I'm saying no. If you're talking somewhere in the second round and you're okay with that, you know, and I think that's where it gets into why would you be okay with that? And I you know, that comes down to meeting and the culture and understanding that he was a walk-on at Duke and, you know, understanding that he's basically overcome a lot. I mean, he was I was listening to his high school coach today. Like, he wasn't even he wasn't recruited by, like, anybody. He was going to Princeton until – <laughs> Until basically his high school coach called um, Cutcliffe in like a last ditch effort, and so I think you, I think he's he's pretty resilient, and he's maybe a little more down to earth than his than kind of what what has been displayed to him in the media. But I don't think that he can. I don't think he's a first rounder, and I don't think that someone where you know you're gonna want. I don't think a team's gonna call him a franchise quarterback right away. I think that he has a lot of the stuff that you would want. Um, but a lot of it needs to be refined and I think it can, but again, you're asking for a change. So I don't think you can get above the second round.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Nick. I think we just have kind of a different philosophy on, on where you should be targeting a guy who, who, if you believe you do truly believe his ceiling is, is more, uh, weighted and focused on a backup quarterback or a strong backup quarterback type role. I just have a different opinion on, you know, I don't think you should use a more than anything earlier than a fourth round draft, a day through draft pick on a player like that. Now, I think a lot of that factors into the fact that, listen, you can get Tyrod Taylor for two years, 10 million on the open market, right? You know, you got him this offseason right now. They, they team got him for that. Um, and in addition to that, you know, while, while it's fine to take a chance on a guy like Kyle Aletta like that, who maybe you believe does have QB one ceiling if he hits every, you know, if he can overcome that, you know, issue of, does his arm talent jump to the next level for a guy like Jones, who doesn't really share those similar kind of concerns concerns, at least not for me, it's more of just a floor thing, a floor ceiling thing. I just don't think that's even worth the number 37 overall pick, you know, just three selections after the giants got a player like Will Hernandez in the last draft. And obviously again, in this draft class, I think there's a lot of really interesting talent uh, that will be available at number 37. So I I guess that's kind of where I settle in on that one, Nick, but let me ask you, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, let's transition a little bit to the wide receiver position because this is an interesting one, I think, um, because I don't believe the Giants should be very interested uh, in this position uh, with anything earlier than the number 95 95 pick overall in round three, the one they acquired from the Browns. I believe, you know, it's going to be tough to do it at times. I understand this, but the best approach for this team is to go away from the Jerry Reese era and to build this franchise and this roster – from the inside, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, from the inside out, and not the outside in. So for me, I I have Marquise Brown, uh, wide receiver out of Oklahoma, Hollywood Brown, AJ Brown, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, and DJ DK Metcalf, the other wide receiver out of Ole Miss. It's kind of my big three. I I, I have them ranked, you know, in a certain order. I don't necessarily believe there's one order for them. I think my injury concerns with with uh. Marquise Brown, who has a Lisfranc injury, obviously went, underwent surgery for it, but that injury is is not a good one to get, and it keeps cropping up for a lot of NFL players. And then Metcalf with that serious neck injury uh, he underwent. For me, I don't really see much of a difference. Do you think that any of the? let me just ask it like this. Are any of these receivers talented enough in your eyes to bypass the the, the philosophy of building the roster from the inside out and to select maybe at number 17 or even 37 overall?
2: Definitely not 17. Um maybe 37 and that's a strong maybe i mean i don't i think this is where it gets tough where you have a roster with so many needs um you know is is like you know you go across the board and see the position groups that have that have you know there hasn't been a lot of improvement on the position groups you know a year into this right and one area the biggest area that's dropped off tremendously you have to admit is the wide receiver group right so you would think that the need would then come that you'd want to bring in someone but not at not this high um and the guys who we're talking about yeah i I don't i don't i I, even brown who i like um you know the guy is one of the guys that i would be thinking about uh i just don't i think yeah you got you have to find the other you have to get you have the defense is in such disarray you know what (laughs) there's so many different ways to go with this like they need so many they need defensive backs. They need linebacker. They need defensive line. Like I don't think you can look at it from a position perspective and go, "Hey, yeah, you know, we can go." If 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 you somehow have Brown and he's the top guy on the board, I know that's how people how how the teams are going to draft. I just think it's really hard to do so when you just don't have a lot of picks this year in the top one hundred. Um, I, I don't think they can do it.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, injury aside, Hollywood Brown, I believe, is the best wide receiver in this class as well. He'd be my one, if not for the injury. I think you know he has that. Deshaun Jackson type game changing speed. You've talked about this so much too on this podcast, Nick, about how the giants need a player like that. I mean, obviously a lot of that discussion you had was focused around them having a player like Beckham also on the roster um, at the same time and what that could do. But you know, it's just, it's not worth abandoning the philosophy, at least according to me and according to you of uh, building this roster inside out. But let's take a quick preview. Well, I, just, I
2: just, hold on one thing. Cause you bring, you bring a really good point. Something I've thought about the, the past couple of days in the Beckham trade, I can't believe that in the wake of what happened they didn't go after Brandon Perryman. After Perryman signs the contract the morning of the of the Beckham trade, they make the trade for Beckham. It's a 1-year, $4 million deal. And they make the trade for Beckham in the afternoon um dorsey goes to his agent and says hey look you can get out of this you know the, obviously the situation's changed his targets are going to go to like you know the target be really hard or and it's, and it's really tough to get him the ball and his agent goes no we want to stick with it you know he wants to be here he likes the wide receiver coach everything about it it's like how the giants don't get perryman as a kicker like you know because you're basically you're crushing your wide receiver group and i think and we think that if you get a guy like perryman that's enough of a vertical threat he's better than coleman from a vertical threat perspective. So just, just to hit that point on the head,
1: it's like, I don't get that. i are not on the same page at all with Brashad Perry, man. I, I think that he is a injury waiting to happen. Not, not someone. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I think when he's at his peak, I can see what you mean. He's, he's more, you know, he's more advanced from that standpoint than Coleman might be right now, but this is a player who's been former first round pick, who's been bounced around and, you know, probably if you ask anyone in the fantasy football community, and obviously, you know, this is where I, my second job home, my second uh, home resides a PFF fantasy, uh, one of the biggest fantasy draft busts in, in recent memory. But, you no know, question. I, I no, though.
2: no question. If you all have a scouting report from the Scouting Academy, they'll definitely publish this one um, because he's had a, he's had a year with Anthony Henry. And when you check the tape this year, you're seeing developments. Okay, you're seeing details, and that's where it's like they were the same details I was looking for from Coleman, and I see them very similarly, right? Because they're both basically X first round busts. One definitely had a bad attitude. The other one is kind of unknown, right. and and that's where it's like okay, like I literally saw that like as the trade's going on. Like, how do they not want that? Because it's immediate swap to up- upgrade over Coleman. I guess Coleman's going to make less, right? He's in like yeah. probably the the two and a half leg range. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, I get it how it's a little bit more expensive, but you get a guy who's developed under a wide receiver coach. You really know well. So I, I, I kind of missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, maybe they just missed it. You know, maybe they're not watching, you know, the the improvements he made in his game. That's may not been a player on their radar. You just never know. Um, But let's move on real quick to, to get to the number 37 pick and we'll have a more, focus discussion on this in future podcasts before the draft. We'll touch a little bit more because we do want to get to your questions as well. But a couple players that we haven't touched on yet that I think could be in play for number 37. Let's start with the big one. I'm starting to get the feeling, Nick, and it's not based on anything, anything I've read or anything I've heard from anyone. It's just based on, you know, a little bit of connecting the dots. The Giants might be more interested in West Virginia quarterback, Will Greer than they're leading on. Um, And I'll admit it. I'm even warming up a little bit to him. I do like his quick release. I like his moxie. I like his creativity. Um, I obviously worry about the arm talent translating and the fact that you know most of his damage was done in the really really quick short passing game. Um, will he be too limited to take a chance on? Is he some or is he somebody? Is this kind of an eye of the beholder thing for what you know different evaluators or different people look for at the quarterback and translating? Or where do you kind of see? Okay, let's put it this way. If the Giants select Will Greer at 37, a number 37 or all, is there any chance of them having their potential franchise quarterback in him?
2: I mean, definitely the potential. There's no way he goes that high. I really at least I think there's no way you can get that high on him. I mean, you've got a guy who in <clears> a <throat> quick game, he's, he's excellent. Um, and at times did really, really well. Um, you know, there's no one, there's very few guys who could run shallow cross better than he could, and that's an actual play from as an air raid play that they or West Coast slash air raid play. Uh, that they ran a lot at uh, at West Virginia. There's a lot of misconceptions about Greer. Uh, you know, he he read defenses and read read through progression like at least a third of the time. Um, there are a lot of people out there that think that doesn't happen in the quote unquote air raid, and how goes version of the air raid is very different and relies on the running game a lot. Um, so it's not, it's just it's a few of those concepts that are taken, but it's not like a pure air raid system, quote unquote. Um, my the biggest issue with Greer is it's really simple from his footwork is very good from the, to the top of his drop. Once he gets to the top of his drop and goes into his throwing motion, the guy is, you know, he's basically he has zero hip rotation. You know, he's throwing with all arm powers, basically his lower body is rarely involved in the throw, um, for power. So he's the fact that he can actually throw the ball like 40 yards with touch is kind of, um, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you know, I, I equate this to, if you have a, like a buddy you play golf with, he has a really weird golf swing, but it gets grooved over time and becomes like a 10 handicap and you're like, how the hell is that guy hitting the ball that well, that's what this is. And I just, I don't know if at the next level, what's going to happen, you know, where clearly he had good quarterback coaching in, um, the quarterback coach of, uh, for West Virginia is now the head coach of NT is escaping my mind. But anyway, he, he clearly he's coachable. Um, I just don't know I, this, this. this To fix that is way too big, I think. um And I think guys are going to say, "Hey, we can get away with it. You can get away with it in the quick game, right. um so it's okay." And then, yeah, that's right. You know, look, if he has a predetermined read, and actually, I just watched this tape again yesterday. I uh, watched the Texas game, which is the game that everyone should see because you see his upside, um, or you see his best game really this year. I think you know, if he has a predetermined read in the quick game, yeah, he can get the ball there on on time and on schedule. And I think that, yeah, that. To be honest, that's in a, I mean, in a way almost that's better than what the Giants saw this year. But overall, yeah, you're you know, you're just seeing it in, I think you would see it in in the in the deeper passing game, and not that deep, meaning like 11 to 20 yard range. I think you saw it in, you know, he, he's not his his motion's not repeat, it doesn't repeat well, especially like in Mobile, the ball's going all over the place. And yeah, he's got Moxie and he played great in that Texas, in the Texas game, but I just don't know if I can get over it really into the second round with him. Um, uh, and, and even, and even in the third round with him, I think it's more of like a fourth round kind of flyer type thing. Um, and you know, and, and a, and a hope to, to get the to QB two.
1: Yeah, I can totally understand that. Listen, I, it, I said, I'm warming up to Greer, but I'm still, you know, I'd still not fully there with him and I don't, don't think I'll be there with him now. I think I'd probably view him a little bit higher than a fourth round pick because I think, I think I value certain things more in quarterbacks. And I know that, you know they're not always quantifiable and there's no way I'm going to be able to prove this but I do believe that quarterbacks who win a lot of games at in a power 5 school at a power 5 school against power 5 teams is important I believe quarterbacks who have a lot of experience at the collegiate level playing against power 5 teams that's important as well especially those who have success from an stamp, accuracy standpoint and you know it's from production touchdown interception ratio standpoint I believe Greer kind of checks all those boxes now Obviously you still have a ton of these prospects at the quarterback position who do check all the boxes I just said, and then still don't translate to the next level. And that's because of the, a lot of the negatives that Nick just mentioned. But I do think that, you know, you, you know, not oh, using his lower body to throw the ball is not as important as it once was maybe for evaluating quarterback position. Now, this is just my opinion on the situation. I believe, you know, that you look at a quarterback like Eli Manning, even who's had a lot of success in his career and he, he is almost an all arm thrower. I know you touched on this before.
2: Um, yeah, the, the way to say it though is Manning's like a functioning quarterback. This is this is dysfunctional. Okay, it, it, it really is. It's 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 that. And when I say it's that bad. It's just that unique. It's like you you don't see this. And so yeah, he, and what's amazing, like I said, he makes it work a lot of the time. So it's just it's kind of one of those things where it just is that repeatable down the line. I will say this: we know with Manning, it's not repeatable longer at the you know, later he goes in his career. So I think it's hard that that's why clean throwers like. You know, you look at guys like Josh Rosen, even, right? Like, like hands down, like, way, like, you're talking about night and day there. So, I just think that type of thing is kind of, it makes it tough longer term.
1: Yeah. Well, it actually helps me transition to another player who I think could be in play for the Giants with some variation of the number 37 overall pick. And that's a trade for Arizona, Josh Rosen. Now, I don't think the Giants will be the team to trade for him. I think that, one, Washington will offer more. Um, I think Washington's gonna actually offer that first round pick, and I think they'll get back Arizona's third in addition to Rosen. That would be finally pretty much what I would say is my final prediction if I had to just make a prediction on what the trade will be for Rosen. Um, but I also and I also think that you know the Giants are in a really tough spot since they committed to Eli. He, bringing in Rosen is not the same as drafting quarterback and then you know feeding the fans the lineup. He he's gonna learn behind the starter for a year and it's a good thing look at look look the chiefs did it because <laughs> that doesn't really fly the same way for trading for a player like rosen who already made a lot of nfl starts but you know obviously nick i don't need to go back into this anyone who knows my work knows i'm a huge fan of josh rosen's game i'm a huge fan of his fit for pat Shermer's uh quick rhythm play action passing offense do you see rosen as a strong a fit for the giants as i do and would you be willing to trade the 37th overall pick for him
2: yeah uh i think the 37th would be a good spot Um, i recently watched five games of his pro tape and then was so confused had to go back to his college tape um i think yeah he's he's everything he's the points that you've made um in your work um and you know you he's totally scoutable at the pro level he played a lot of games you know he had a lot of open throws he had a lot of good pockets he had a lot of terrible pockets um I think the hardest thing that you have to wrap your arms around with, with Rosen is why he missed high so much this year. And he didn't do it in college. Um, and I think it has to do with it. His motion didn't change. It was not something technical. It was not something situational. It was both sides of the field. You know, he was really inaccurate. Whereas in the college level, he was really accurate. And I think part of it was just getting used to, or I think it's mostly centered around getting used to better windows. So if you're willing to, to trade for him, you got to be willing to say that that's, basically going to get better because throughout the entire season, he was doing that. And that's where it's like, it just, it it gave me a lot of pause to where at first I was like, Oh, I'd easily give a first rounder for him. Let me ask you something
1: before you, before you go dive into why I gave you pause, let me ask you this, a player who drew a very similar comp to Rosen from Greg Cassell, although he did have Rosen as a better prospect is Jared Goff. And what they have in common is repeatable mechanics. Um, and a clean throwing clean clean throwing motion and a clean ball that comes out. So my question is this. You watch the kind of jump that Scott made in, from year one to year two. You know that, you know, quarterbacks in general, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, even though obviously he didn't play much in his first year. But the list goes on of quarterbacks who make that year one to year ju- two jump. So now we have a quarterback who played with the worst offensive line in football, without a doubt, worst ranked by every service, and they had five injuries to their offensive linemen. They changed offensive coordinators and offense schemes midseason. They didn't really have any receiver who could separate, in my opinion, deep for sure. And basically, I didn't really see consistent separation at all when I watched that team from their tight ends or the receivers, um, with the exception of maybe Fitzgerald and Kirk until he got hurt. So you factor all of that in, at least in my opinion, with the fact that you know maybe the game was just fast for him and the windows were just not there like he saw them and he rushed his throws or he you know he threw a little high for that reason in his first year. Is that plausible or are you seeing something else?
2: No, definitely, definitely plausible to, to the final point. You know, and if you, and if you follow Cosell and, and kind of talk to him, he, um, you know, he will kind of talk about how golf is. I think that the old, that's a good comparison to make, but I don't think golf made as big a jump in the second year as people think versus just running it, okay. running, running a play calling mix. That was much better matched to him. And he was, you know, he's a mobile quarterback, but asking him to get past his second read, his first read, you know, and his play speed overall, it's still developing. And even for a first rounder, it's still developing. So I, I think Rosen is is you know Rosen coming in as a prospect is better than he was. I think right now it's I think Rosen in that regard, Rosen throws well. with he threw well with anticipation this year, um, I think that again, I think this it gets into you know if you think that it, you have to be comfortable that that he can be accurate. And that's where I'm – That that's my biggest question. It's, like, as simple as, like, a receiver. Can the receiver catch the ball in tight windows? It's the right. same thing. Can the quarterback do it? And I just – when you see it the entire year and then what – what you know, people talk about the pressure he was under. This is a league. This is a show it league. This is a prove it league. If, if he doesn't prove it, the defenses are going to keep on doing what they did last year, and that's yeah. blitz. So it's, like, until that happens, I think that – and that's why I think if, if he goes to the right group or if Cliff does it, um, which I'm starting to think that, by the way, that they're actually not going to trade him, um, that this whole thing – may even be like a ruse because it's so they're being so obvious about it it's like bizarre um and if i i think they're open to it but i think it could be a head fake to get the raiders to bid very strongly for murray but that's a whole nother conversation um so for rosa i think he's worth it he's worth it but i don't um you know i think you have to get comfortable with that fact
1: yeah and that's something interesting that you know we we we'll see where that goes with his year two jump. To me, I think it's based on, like you said, based on what we saw from him from an accuracy standpoint at the collegiate level and based on, um, you know, just his repeated mechanics, both, you know, lower body and upper body with his throwing mechanics. I think all of that leads me to believe that I'd make that bet personally, but I understand why, you know, some people would. But if the Giants don't trade for him, I don't think any of this is coming into fact. I, I really don't think it's their me. I, I, I you know, I'm not going to go back on it. I think the two reasons I said are, are really – stand out to me is the two reasons and I, and I think their decision to commit to Eli will factor in the decision but that's all we're going to do today for uh the Giants picks at number six number 17 and number 37 as far as discussed prospects we will get to a lot of these defensive backs who I like a lot and I want to hear from Nick on in the next podcast we're going to do more interior defensive line who I think could be the pick at 37 and then deeper into the draft we're going to try to find and locate guys to play a lot of positions the Giants need to fill but for now let's Passing on a little bit to questions from some of our listeners, and we'll start with Kermudgen who asks, can you give me a breakdown of Ed Oliver and how likely he is to be the pick at number six?
2: I think we're going to have to come back on this one. Uh, I don't have – I've not – I've seen Oliver a little bit on TV, and, um, you know, I think that he's a disruptive force for sure. Um, You know, a lot of guys talk about how he was stuck at zero tech in the tight front and how that was – you know, he's even more productive. I like the fact that he has zero tech exposure, you know, kind of like Quinn Williams. Um, and so anyway, I'll come back to you more with, with more of a, a more detail there. Cause we've got another question on that one too. And on Ed Oliver, and it's just, it's going to be a, a bigger project.
1: Yeah, for sure. We'll get to Oliver, but as far as what I can tell you, I do think that he, you know, would be an excellent fit for the giants. And I think that not only for the fact that he, you know, has this unbelievable athletic profile, that's like rivals Aaron Donalds, but he's also, you know, he had production as well. And obviously there are some issues from that standpoint, it wasn't the elite production or, you know, anything close to what Aaron Donald did. And obviously Aaron Donald also did it at, in the ACC at a little bit of a higher level than, you know, at Houston. But I do think he's definitely in play. And so we'll definitely get to that soon. Um, giants chit chat asks, can you give what you think are the three biggest pure needs? Um, first based on below average starters like Wheeler, and then on aging and declining vets. the three biggest pure nice. needs,
2: um, was his first on below like like two 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 threes like on below average starters and the aging or just three overall? So
1: basically, I guess he's saying factor. I, yeah, I think he's actually asking for two threes. Two so threes. Yeah.
2: So, below average starters. Um, gotta say right tackle.
1: Yeah, you don't um, have to go much further than we. That
2: has to be right tackle. I you gotta say corner. Yeah. Um, uh, and I because that's such a premium position. Um, and the third. I would say tight end. I'd say tight end. Wow. Um, tight end. Yeah, I'm not as high on the tight ends as everyone as I, I the two guys tight ends. And I know Simonson's an RBC kid from New Jersey, so I should I should be. But I, I don't think that both, both are as good blocking or as good, basically, um, receiving threats as they were earlier in the career, or Simonson really hasn't been, period. And
1: you're not factoring in Ingram in this? Uh, correct, 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 yeah. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm, in my
2: head, Ingram's still a move tight end slash a fullback slash HB. Right. <laughs> since I wrote that piece. Um, and then the three on declining vets, number one, has to be quarterback. Uh, number two, oh God, I don't want to say this. Number two, I really think is Ogletree. Um, oh God, it just hurt me to say that. I like him. I just, if you watch Devin Bush tackle, it's hard to watch a guy like Ogletree tackle. And you, and, the, and the guy, because he's, just, he's so consistently high. Like you need a guy with good pad level making that stop, making those stops. And then the third for the aging vet. Um, I don't know. Uh,
1: yeah, what would your third be? There like a there third. There could be deep safety because Anton Bethea is a, is obviously a stopgap at thirty at his age, and he's yeah. fit right into that aging, declining bed. I think.
2: Yeah, he's versatile enough against tight ends. though. I actually think he maybe. Oh seed. yeah.
1: A sneakily good signing, but yeah, no, it, no, no. It, I think he's a great signing for now. Actually, I actually really think he's a sneaky good signing for now. But my, yeah. is, as far as aging and declining vets go, he maybe not declining, but he's yeah. aging.
2: <laughs> no, no. The other thing too, it, for death, a thousand percent. You're exactly right. They need. Yeah. They need bodies in the in the secondary that are and no offense to Grant Haley. I think he had a good series, oh, a good yeah. season, but it's just oh, yeah. you need you need the actual guys to 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 you know to compete for the
1: positions for sure. And I'll throw in my my quick ones here too. I'll start with Wheeler for below average starters. That one's obvious. I'll I'll jump in with Nick at cornerback because you know I don't count on Sam Beal just yet. And even so, I can't count on Sam Beal and Grant Haley and Lippitt as their two, three, four at that position. Um, And then lastly, you know, for me, it's that money backer, inside backer position alongside Ogletree, uh, as far as just below average starters. I don't know what the Giants plan on doing there. If it's Tay Davis, that's not the answer for me. Um, Then as far as the other question goes, obviously quarterback. I mean, we don't need to go too much further into that. I Actually, think cornerbacks on this list, too, just because, you know, it's not like Janoris Jenkins is in full decline yet, but he's certainly aging and declining, as you can see by last season um, versus his other seasons with the Giants. Um, and then lastly, just to throw one more in there, um, you know, I could, I could just say safety as well with Antoine Bethea, cause I, I do agree with that as well. Um, and John Pizzo's, we're going to move on to another question here. John Pizzo asks, I'm starting to feel like the giants will go Greer somewhere in the second, uh, trading back in or Locke, probably moving up earlier than 17. What are the positives and negatives of both? And what do you think their ceiling are? So we kind of already touched on these guys, uh, John. So if you, if you didn't get a chance to just circle back to the beginning of the podcast when we're breaking down both players. Um, Gary, I like this question. from Gary Hartman, Nick, this will be a fun one. If you had to guess the Giants' starting quarterback in 2020, who would it be? And will he be on the roster after this draft? <laughs> Dwayne Haskins.
2: Dwayne Haskins.
1: Okay. Dwayne Haskins. Wow. Bold call. Um, very interesting. So I, <laughs> this is a tough question for me because I don't really think they're going to find a starter in the 2020 draft. Um, I don't really think they're going to make the move to trade up for Rosen. Uh, Will they start a Justin Herbert in year one after another full season (laughs) at Oregon? Maybe he's going to have to make a bigger jump. Obviously the raw tools are there. I love his raw tools, but I don't know if he's there yet. Um, I'm going to go out on Limir. here. I'm going to say Justin Herbert. I I think they're going to pass and trade up for him in the next draft. Um, Anthony asked us another question about Ed Oliver. So again, we're going to put off the Oliver questions for now. Um, Jay Bernard asked us our take on Devin Bush versus Devin White, but we did also kind of break that down, Jay. So we're gonna just ask you to circle back to the beginning of the podcast there. Um here's a new one from Andrew Owens who asks, to what extent does implicit bias play in a role a role in these old school draft evaluations from too much emphasis on size with a player like Jones, uh Daniel Jones, or to personality, uh, you know, not trading for Josh Rosen, uh et cetera.
2: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think that, you know, you're talking about basically the parcels, you know, the definition of, or not definition, but his requirement of certain measurables being met. Or if, you know, I think personality plays a big deal in this. And I actually don't think that's old school. I think that's still a big, a big deal. It doesn't mean that if you don't think a player is right, it doesn't mean that you're saying that he's, bad or poor in those areas. Like he's a bad teammate. Like I don't think Josh Rosen is a bad teammate, but I certainly have questions even from his tape as to his personality. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad person. It just means that is he the best fit for what you have in the locker room? Now, if you have a coach, that's real heavy handed and it's like on top of his players and basically like a micromanager, do you want a very strong headed quarterback as well? Well, you know, how does that all work? I think that plays actually like a, a way bigger part than people realize. I think it should um especially the quarterback position um there's a lot of considerations to be made and the best way to say it has been told to me uh is you know look if you're an area scout the top three pit the top three rounds for your team you know your input is one part of it but you're a lot of cases for teams you're not even in the draft when they make the, make the decision so like you know, there's a lot of things going on a lot of considerations and and so the personality is definitely a big deal i think that one's intact i think that the you know the old school. The, the old school. I would say that probably half the teams in the league still have firm measurables that they will not move from. Um, so definitely, think it has a big, big, uh, you know, emphasis and influence.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I have a full grasp on this question because I don't know what teams view this and different. I, I think all thirty-two teams can give you a different answer on this. For sure. Oh, for sure. But um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting points that Nick just brought up. Um, he Andrew also asks about my th- uh, about my opinion of Evan Silva's theory on Francesco running. the <laughs> I think this is more just a joke, um, obviously. But you know, I don't think it's important to answer that one. How likely is Julian Love to hit his physical upside? That's another question. So he rounds it all about here, Andrew Owens, with a question about a uh, player in this draft. So have you had a chance to look at Love at all?
2: I have not. Um, I don't yeah i i'll i i, I can not recall to be honest i have a couple of notes but they're like pretty scattered i haven't i've team, uh, team, but not not him specifically
1: yeah I, I i'm not a huge fan of love just just from a production standpoint but you know i obviously haven't watched him that much just some of the things i've read and some of you know the grades that he the way he graded out um at the at the collegiate level but you know he's definitely an interesting player at one point people were talking about him as a first rounder um andre asks The Giants want to apparently follow the Kansas City model, but also want an elite talent, uh, maybe a pass rusher at six. Um, Is it possible you can see the Giants packaging 37 and 17 to move up for a QB?
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, for sure. Who's going to be selling that? I think that's going to be. Yeah, right. And that's going to be Miami might be selling that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be one of those things that they don't, they're not going to know until the day of, right. Like, and it's going to be kind of crazy for them, which is again, why, um, you know, a lot of, everyone's loving to kind of get into the meetings and, and who's, and who's, you know, who's a top 30 visit for the giants and all this and that. And I think that's, what's important for people to realize is, you know, if you're, if you're Pat Shermer and you're in the, and and things get crazy on draft day, you know, and someone asked, someone in the room asked a question on Will Greer, do you want to be like, Oh, I didn't fill all, I didn't check all my boxes. Or do you want to have all your boxes checked as you're taking a quarterback in the round? And that's what, or in the draft, I think that's what's, it's a big point that guys like Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, ex-scouts talk about like the visits aren't necessarily interest. It's, it's to, it's to make and have, get all, do all your due diligence on everyone. And then to have the right scope in case if things get crazy, because if you're unprepared, you're, you're screwed. Um, so I think that's where, yeah, I think that they absolutely can move up and, um, and 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 it, it, honestly I think it I think it's gonna be I, I bet I bet that Haskins falls to them at six, but I um or I could see it falling at six, but I could also eat a you know, fifty fifty shot of them having to to move up for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's all hope that's what that goes according to your plan, Nick. Um, because if they're moving up for a quarterback and back and they're giving up a valuable asset in my opinion, like thirty seven overall, in addition to seventeen overall, it better be in my opinion for Dwayne Haskins and not Drew Locke or Daniel Jones because you know, I just don't see what they would be seeing there. If that's the case. Um, Brandon Taylor asks, "What about Lonnie Johnson? Do you like him for the Giants?" I've I've talked about Johnson. I think that's why Taylor brings him up. I like Johnson. I you know I found myself watching Josh Allen earlier this this off season because he's a re- he's a player I love for the Giants. If they somehow have a chance at him, and I kept you know there's uh, one cornerback you know one defensive back kept standing out to me, and it was actually Lonnie Johnson. He's a really lengthy player, six three. I think he could be an interesting fit for veterans, somebody they can mold. I think he was a big part of why that defense was so good at Kentucky. Um, have you had a chance to look at Lonnie Johnson yet, or should we put that? Should we add that to your list, Nick?
2: Uh, I can add it to the list. Not sure if I'll be able to get there. Right. Um, I watched his as I pull up my notes. This is live uh, in, in, in Lebanon right now. Um, I had, from his 17 tape, I liked his physicality and man. Um, I like his ability to solid ability to click and close. Um he's pretty physical. he actually i liked actually I did like him. Um, yeah, no, I did like him. he's he's he pretty good agility, pretty good change of direction, able to flip hips. Um, it's an interesting profile like you said because it's like you know I think he can i think he'd be pretty good in the run fit and and would yeah. be a, a good fit for what they were, are good. I think the new cornerback has to be able to tackle and not in the Tampa two way. And like, and so I don't, I think the guys that just purely cover, I think it's not just, it's not happening these days. Um, yep. So anyway, yeah, I, I think he would check that box. Um, and, uh, and and potentially definitely a good fit.
1: Okay. A really good point there too, Nick. Uh, one of the reasons I'm not high, I'm Byron Murphy, uh, the Washington cornerback for the Giants, um, just just for this team specifically and some of the other prospects who I kind of feel like have a more lengthy and slender, frame, De- slender flame, frame, I should say. Deontay Thompson is another one who stands out to me, the safety from Alabama. I don't, I don't think they're going to make that. I, I get flashes of Darian Thompson sometimes when I watch him play. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a disaster for this team. But um, anyway, we're definitely going to touch more on the defensive backs on the next podcast. So keep an eye on that. And we'll definitely now throw in a, a more detailed description, of Lonnie Johnson as well. But um, last question for today, Nick, and it's from Jay Heller, recent follower of the podcast. And he asks with all the hours upon hours of game film, professional scouts, interviews and depth meetings, a how important really is the short shuttle, Uh, three cone hurdle at the combine and then b with all of the above how do you draft an eric flowers or an eli apple with your first picks (laughs) For
2: the first part um you know the i think it's totally position position specific or if you offer the three cone the short shuttle or if you want to get a good sense of what the guy's short area burst is like without pads on you know um and 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 what their raw ability is to do that so for defensive ends if you watch their drills where they're moving around body around uh, big bags and i can't remember the first name all these coaches have a million different names for it but if you go to clinics and you see that drill it, it, it's it's very close to the three cone drill except it's with pads on and they're including basically hand movements and use of hands through it so i i think that that can give you a good idea but then also i think you know, just like everything else, the play speed, the actual play speed, is going to vary to some degrees, and for some guys, when they put the pads on, it's a lot different. So I think that the the combine is used as a a measuring stick to then go either increase an amount of tape for someone that you maybe missed and go back and look at, or as just a simple check the box that he that the candidate or the prospect. Um, prepares himself after you know for what you want to see him be good at a i.e a defensive lineman you know can 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 show that he's worked on on those drills specifically besides that yeah i don't i don't put a ton of weight there and uh being a tape guy i'm going to throw a lot more behind the tape and you see it's a there's a wide range of opinions at the nfl you have guys like san francisco who you know you'll hear shanahan talk and lynch to some degree you know, how they don't, they look at tape mostly. It's not a measurable thing. So teams are all over the map. Um, And for the back half of the question, uh, (laughs) you know, I I don't get flowers. Um, That's a tough one just because, you know, the guy never really has, has his vertical sets have ever really been good. So I don't, I don't really understand that. And then Eli Apple, I don't, you know, I think it's, I think there's a lot of stuff that came with him after the fact that, then with the prospect, but I didn't study him then. It's just, I think he has a pretty good raw ability to cover guys in trail technique. Um, but uh, but yeah, it hasn't really panned out. He had okay okay time with the Saints, but it's nothing. It, it's not it's not that high. I would say, you know, or you, you would consider a quote unquote bust.
1: No, and you know I'll answer this question backwards. I'll answer the second part with <laughs> yeah. just two words: Jerry Reese. I mean, like you said it best, Nick? There were so many concerns about uh, Flowers' technique when they selected him, and uh, as a top ten pick, and it's like that should never. If you're selecting a, t- a player like that with a top ten pick. Can't have the kind of concerns he had from that standpoint. Um, and then when you factor in the fact that he did not have a good work ethic, and, and you know, at least judging by the fact that he never improved his game, that's something that you, you know that's that's also on you. And the same goes back to Eli Apple, player you know who they fell in love with because he had unbelievable testing tested speed and length. And you know he was only twenty, I believe he was only twenty or twenty one years old when they drafted him. So they're like, okay, this kid is going to be one of the best corners in the NFL. But you know, like you said, Nick. Uh, San Francisco views it differently. And, you know, Dave Gettleman, at least on record, has has made it clear that he only really cares about the interview part of the combine process. But to answer the first part of your question, Jay, I actually do think for certain positions – now, for me – and, you know, it's different for everybody. For me, it's the offensive line and it's the edge rushers. And for those positions, I do believe the short shuttle and three-cone are extremely important. I think if you look over time and, – and now, I'll say it like this. I think the only important factors for the three-cone and the short shuttle – are the players who stood out as extremely poor, and the players who stood out as extremely uh, uh, exceptional in those drills. Now, there's always going to be outliers. Orlando Brown Jr., the, uh, the tackle out of Oklahoma, who was drafted in the third round because he tested so poorly uh, at the combine last year by the Ravens, and he had a great rookie season. There's going to be guys like that, but over time, you know, this is where I think analytics really does help because you know you're you you realize just how big of a chance you're taking relative to you know what his you know to what the statistics show of players who you know are at either end of the spectrum when it comes to those testing but anyway on that note guys we're gonna sign off here for big blue banter i was happy to get back into this today but i have now now i have the fervor for even more so next week you can expect another episode where we dive more into the draft and obviously we didn't touch much on the defensive back so expect a bigger focus there thanks again for tuning in guys uh, keep it locked and loaded here on Big Blue Banter. We will be with you throughout the rest of this off offseason, um, and especially you know in these next few weeks with the draft starting to heat up. We're now almost two weeks away. Uh, you can follow all of my work uh, at Dan Schneier NFL or on 24-7 Sports uh, or the CBS Sports app As if you click on the Giants as your favorite team. Nick, where can we find all of your work? Uh, these days, uh, the easiest spot is my Twitter
2: handle, Manic 21 Manic 21 Awesome. And on that note,
1: guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll speak to you soon.